welcome to today's episode for the Bombercast round 16 2022 for the men's but more importantly grand final review week for the women I'm the Grizz here uh, hosting in lieu of Vonta being away but I am joined by the premier VFLW radio and expert on big footy I've got Peter Holden also known as Crowded House you'll know him from Wolf Radio how are you today Peter it's always good to come on when Essendon are winning and more importantly as our club should be collecting the silverware Someone had to do it. The men aren't pulling their weights. So someone had to honor Essendon's 150th year. And thankfully, the, the ladies got up yesterday. Um, but before we get to that, we'll do a, a quick wrap of the men's because uh, like you alluded to, the Bombers got up on the weekend, which is unfortunately for the guys, at least, a, a rare occurrence. They got up over the top of Sydney in what was a, a pretty seesawing match. We, we tried by 26 points at uh, two different occasions, got up by nine points, um, a, a great thrilling game. Not a lot of defense played between the two teams, but entertaining nonetheless. Grizz, what's your feeling going into this game? I, I know I got asked by people at work and I didn't get to watch the game because I was working during it. And I thought, well, I'm not going to watch the replay either because it's Sydney. Sydney have had our number of late. They're flying along. Did you feel like, oh, no, you know, can we limit the damage? Can we try and not get pants by 100 points? Yeah, so I was uh, I was firmly in damage control <laughs> uh, frame of mind going to this game. I, I figured Sydney had got a good win over St Kilda last week, and I thought, okay, well, they're aiming up for a top four spot here. Like you said, they, they absolutely pants us. It was only I think seven weeks ago or something, which is quite remarkable. We've played them again that soon, but I thought the our team defence, Peter, has not been great this year. So the wide expanses of the MCG had me slightly worried that Sydney were going to run right. And, and really for the first quarter, that's what it looked like, didn't it? It was sort of five goals to one at one point. And we sort of paired it back, got to with just in front before half time before they pulled away. But we actually had a, a pretty good share of the stats. So we'll plus 100 disposals, plus eight clearances, plus 20 marks. Like we haven't had stats like that all year, basically. It was quite incredible that we were that elite. They beat us in tackles, but it was sort of a mirror to last week where Swans couldn't kick straight and we couldn't miss. And much like the Eagles did to us, that was sort of the difference at the end of the day. What's the feeling at the 20-minute mark of the second term when two-metre Peter puts us in front? Does it does it feel like a false storm? Because it's like, yeah, we've seen this picture before. All of a sudden, yeah, we have a really good quarter and then all of a sudden it just fades to nothing. Yeah, it's interesting. So... I thought that when our team defense sort of stood up and in the sense that we're able to pin it in the front half, we looked really good. Uh, I didn't see us coming back from 26 points. I feel like Peter Wright should just take all his set shots from 55 meters out on a slight angle. Um, He doesn't seem to miss those. When he gets the dollies from 40 out is when he struggles. But a lot, he was just one of a few guys who could kick really straight on the weekend. Our forward pressure was really good at times. I thought our leaders stood up at different points of the day, particularly in the fourth quarter. But yeah, it, it was certainly a, a thrilling affair. The heart rate was going at various different points, particularly in that second half. I figure, you know, our team defense is still probably an issue. I find, and I don't know if you find this watching us, Peter, is that our team defense falls over in transition because it looks like we just don't know when to hand over. So it looks like the... The idea is that the closest guy to the mark takes it. And if his man's within a 10 metre sort of area, someone hands it off. But where it seems to break down is one one of two occasions. We either have some really lazy players, and I, I sort of pointed them out as Parrish and Stringer and Draper in that first half, that 
just hand off because they can't be bothered biting down on the mouth guard and covering their own man. And they just take the easy option of handing off when they shouldn't. And that causes sort of an overlap because, you know, whoever they're handing over to can't get to the guy. And it creates that sort of leapfrog effect that we see so often in AFL transition. And the other one is the young defenders and the younger players just seem really confused as to when to hand over. So they're handing over when they don't need to. I think there was at one point where um, Zerk Thatcher handed over Tom Hickey to Massimo D'Ambrosio. And I don't know if you've seen Massimo D'Ambrosio, uh, Peter, but he's about five foot nothing and Tom Hickey's seven foot. So yeah, well, it might as well be that with the height difference. So just that sort of stuff sort of broke down at different points in that that first quarter, but we seem to seem to uh, rebound pretty well. Well, as much as there's the bagging out of the package in the first half, I mean, Jake Stringer's goal at the 12-minute mark of the fourth quarter started the ball rolling to us, eventually taking the lead and somehow holding the lead. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? You don't normally want your forwards taking 45-metre check side bananas <laughs> um, like he did, but that's sort of what Jake Stringer does. He had a dirty day uh, up to three-quarter time, didn't he? I, I think, like I said, some really lazy efforts in defence and he just couldn't get near it. But I suppose that's what guys like Stringer do. When the game's there to be won, he had that goal. He had another running goal to put us, I think, in front or near enough in front and then set up one to, I think it was Kyle Langford to put us in front as well. So just when the game was there to be won, he was really strong. I was wondering, Peter, what did you think of the younger guys on the weekend? It's like you said, you know, they, they didn't know what they were doing. There's a game plan that they're trying to work to. And you, you wonder, and you out of hope of hope more than anything, you, you want a 92 Bombers where... Yes, in the 92 season, we got pants by Hawthorne, but then we won North Melbourne in our last game. We're up and down, but you could see through the reserve system as well. You could see, okay, things are starting to click. The, the, the young ones are starting to get some confidence. And then by that stage, Sheedy's original plan for the 92 side was to win the 96 flag. And as we all know, you know we got there a lot earlier than expected in 93. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure though that, and it's not necessarily on the youngsters, but more on our senior players. If we've got the right heads like we did in 93, that then can able to give that confidence to the younger players to take on that responsibility and work well as a unit to hopefully do some magical things for us in 2023. Yeah. So I think you're right. And, and the moments of the, the game on the weekend that we looked like we weren't quite up to it. There was the senior players that sort of weren't carrying their weight. And I mentioned Parrish and Stringer before, but I think some of the younger guys did a really good job at different times. I think Zach Merritt stood up all day, three goals, 24 disposals. He was really good. Parrish and Shield had some really strong moments in that fourth quarter. Sam Durham was incredible as a younger guy with his marking across the ground as a wingman. Like he had some moments... Peter, where you just, you put your head in your hands and you go, why, why would you do that, Sammy? But it's because he does everything at a thousand miles per hour. And when you play like that, you'll have some really good plays where you go, oh, mate, why can't you just do it all the time? And then you'll see some plays where he absolutely shanks a kick that you need to be kicking as a regular AFL footballer. But yeah, his effort and his marking and his ability to cover goal line to goal line is impressive. I thought Hobbs... Had a quiet first three quarters, but he had 11 disposals. I think a couple of tackles and a goal in the final quarter. Massimo D'Ambrosio is a rising star nom this week. He was outstanding. Um, I think he had 22 disposals, going on a 90% click by foot. It's really interesting with our defense. We've gone from a fleet of foot 
type of defense to one that seems to be with the exception of Nick Hind, who's a jet, it's more one that's based off you know, positioning and kicking, which is probably more sustainable, particularly because if teams can shut down those running lines, guys like D'Ambrosio and and Ridley and Redmond, who are really good kicks of the football, can break those lines. Because you know anyone that watches football for a long time knows you can't outrun the footy in flight. Um, if you can kick it well and hit targets, so you think of those Hawthorne teams. Um, that won premierships. You can't outrun the footy. I thought Zerk Thatcher had his best game for the club as well. I think we've been crying out for a key defender for the last couple of weeks. Bonser and I have been lamenting the fact that Truck's sort of gone with this undersized defence. He finally brought Zerk Thatcher in almost sort of begrudgingly and with gritted teeth. And I thought he had like the best game. I don't know. It must be the long sleeves. Anytime he plays in long sleeves, he plays well. So maybe we should just have him out there at all times. Uh, in a long sleeve number 30, he was outstanding. Like I mentioned before, he, he sometimes hands off when he shouldn't. But when he's the last defender in our zone, he's actually really good at reading the play. You know, he can have some scary moments with the ball, but his ability and his willingness to fly in the air, to make contact and, and spoil the ball. And he's not afraid of, you know, going after the footy and laying a tackle. He laid a couple of really strong ones in that final quarter when we desperately needed a stop inside the forward 50 was really good. Yeah. And I think we really could have lost this game at three different points. I think the Sydney kicked two goals, eight in the third quarter from 20 inside fifties. So you're, you're running at a score every second inside 50. We're just lucky. They didn't kick six set like six, four instead of two, eight. Cause we probably lose the game. If they do that, we, we don't come back from a, a 40 point margin instead of a 26. But point that, margin. That's almost, that's almost trying to play Malcolm Blight type of football when he was coaching Geelong back in the uh, early 90s, where it was a case of, all right, you kick 25 goals, we'll kick 26. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we kicked 15-5. So we had, that, that's unbelievable accuracy. We've been going at 44% for the entire year. But you, you are right, and that's how the game was sort of played. There wasn't a lot of clearances. I think there were only 68 clearances for the game which is really low, to be honest. It was a really back and forth sort of game. Both teams aren't great in terms of contested ball uh, differentials. And it really was a game on the outside. We know Sydney love that run and gun style with their players. Chad Warner was outstanding for them. But I thought as a whole, to see us come back from two 26-point deficits to win the game was a, a, a fantastic effort. And this year is not about finals now. I think we can both agree that you know, finals out of the question and, and it's really just about blooding youngsters and trying to figure out who we've got going forward in terms of our senior players. Parrish had a good return. I only had 20 disposals, but some really crucial um, touches in that last quarter. And Shields, I, I don't know, I didn't know this, Peter, but Shields are the number one centre clearance player in the competition at the moment, which considering all the heady cops from Essendon fans, it's quite remarkable. He's still the number one centre clearance player in the competition. Just quickly, um, how much pressure do you think was on Nick Hine to make sure he got that match winner, considering that he knew that his missus, Nat McDonald, was going to be playing in the VFLW Grand Finals? Like, well, she's going to get something done and probably get some silverware on Sunday. I better do something on Friday, on Saturday. <laughs> I didn't know his missus was playing in the... Oh, wow, there you go. That's a, a great piece of information. But, yeah, that was outstanding. I, I let out a big, big cheer when Hindy went and kicked that through. It was just a sensational sort of feeling knowing we were home. And yeah, I'm really proud of the boys. But at the end of the day, Peter, as we know, they were really the sideshow. This week was really about the grand final that was played 12 15. 
yesterday at Northport Oval where the Mighty Bombers returned to where they should be and won a premiership. It was a sensational game. Um, we kept them goalless. And what was a really great season by the girls, undefeated, uh, two draws, but um, no losses for the year to get through the grand final and to win it so convincingly. It's been a great build over a four-year period. Indeed it has. And uh, obviously a big week overall for the women's program because obviously we had the AFLW draft uh, last Wednesday as well, which we completed our list. And I'll speak on that in a moment's time as well because something out of the grand final has affected our AFLW list. But uh, we won in the end 6-6-42 to seven behinds. And I remind people when they hear those low scores, they, they play 20 minutes and no time on in the uh, VFLW. So realistically, you get a good 15, 16 minutes of football each quarter. And it didn't help that because Channel 7 are doing it, you've got to wait 40 seconds for their commercial break as well. <laughs> oh, so, no. so, so that robs you of time. Like Coming into the game, someone asked me, uh, you know, who's going to win? I said, well, on the record, I hope it's going to be a close game. The Bombers will edge them. And I said, off the record, Essendon by 65 points. <laughs> and they go, why by a large margin? I go, well, the, the simple thing is they both can play a similar type of football, Essendon and the Southern Saints, when it comes to a defensive setup. Both have very good defenses. But I said, Essendon is the only team that knows how to flick the switch for at least a quarter and go, bang, five goals, game over, where the Southern yeah. Saints couldn't. And, and ironically, Essendon didn't do it. We didn't do it in this uh, in this game. It, we almost grounded out. I mean, there was only one quarter that I'd say the Saints really threw down a challenge to us, and that was with the wind blowing to the right-hand side for those that were watching on TV, which is the Fred Cook end. The Southern Saints had the agency of that breeze, and they kicked something like four or five behinds. They kicked themselves out of the game. In fact, we were scoreless um, in the final quarter, again, having to defend uh, into the breeze. Mm. But we'd already done the damage across the uh, first three quarters. Um, and it, it never really looked like the Southern Saints were going to threaten us. We, we had match winners everywhere. I mean, if you go through the disposals, like Courtney Yugel, 22 touches. Aloise Ashley Cooper, 20 touches. Jordan Zanchetta, 19 touches. The best on ground, the Lisa Hardiman medalist, went to Alana Barber, who will be on an AFLW list. She had 18 she touches. She was outstanding. She was oh, wonderful. Um, yeah. And remember, she, she was delisted by Gold Coast as well so you know 18 i think i've got here 18 tackles that's absolutely bonkers 18 tackles and 18 eight clearances, tackles, eight clearances. yeah unbelievable exactly. <laughs> uh, 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 afl fantasy points that'd be 120 points just easy there Far so, out. 17. so there, there was a lot of contributors uh, and like any one of those footballers particularly Yugle or Barber or Nanscorn, which we'll talk about in a moment, mm. any of them could easily say, I'm going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and win this one. Where on the Southern Saints side, they maybe had Stewart, maybe Kat Suss, but there was there was rarely it looked like there was going to be another player could pop their head up at one stage during the game and go, right, I'm going to try and take this away from Essendon. and I'm going to flick a switch. It was never coming. We had full control over the game and that was the result. And then about 6,000 people turned out as well to Northport Oval, which was great. So, and it was a predominantly bombers crowd as well, which um, uh, if, if you listen back on Spotify and search for VFL Women's Match of the Day, you'll hear back our radio commentary. You hear in the mic, just the crowd going yes. bonkers every time it's an Essendon goal. So, you yeah. know, that, that felt good that the bomber, the bomber faithful with the bomber voice was there. Yeah, so it was an interesting matchup because if I'm, you can correct me here, Southern Saints weren't one of the better teams all year, but they were certainly the hottest basically outside Eston coming. I think they had to win eight of their last nine games to get into the grand final, which when you think about it, that's a remarkable effort. Um, they yeah. were, so they, they didn't get a sort of a, a second chance in the final series. They just had to keep winning to get through. To win eight of nine is a remarkable effort. And I think they sort of, when you're on that sort of streak, you come up against the buzzsaw 
of a team that's undefeated all year with nine AFLW listed players. I think there's nine players from the Essendon's VFLW team that are going to be playing for the AFLW squad, plus mm-hmm. a couple of others like Zan Chedderans, who um, was listed for Brisbane. You mentioned Barber, uh, who was delisted from Gold Coast, will now be with the AFLW team. Uh, the poor Saints, they had a great run coming in, but they seem to just hit a buzzsaw <laughs> in the grand yeah, final. Yeah. They, and, and, and they did benefit from one thing as well. As much as the Saints really used AFLW listed players on St Kilda, was majority of the time a VFLW list for them. When they came into the finals, remember, they'd been touched up by the Hawks and the Casey Demons along the way. Somehow they always matched up well against us. When when they had a draw against us, which I think was round five, Georgia Nanscorn was out for that game. Uh, mm-hmm. Then later on, which I think was round 13, when they met us, we had, uh, I think Eloise Ashley Cooper was out that day. Cecilia McIntosh was out. Uh, Nicole Julian went down with a calf injury during that game and we held on by... 10 points but but those two games we were nowhere near playing our best and then all of a sudden bang you know you know we, we were already coming into finals we we touched up by a good you know 10 to 12 goals both Hawthorne and the Casey Demons coming in and and the Saints were advantaged by the fact that Hawthorne who's coming into the AFLW like us played a very different philosophy they put their AFLW signings on ice they didn't allow them to play in the finals and yeah. they capitulated. They, 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 they got smashed by us, and then the Saints were able to run over them. The Saints, when they beat Geelong in the first week of the finals, had Geelong players who had been dominating, including, I think it was Lucy Schneider. I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to remember who the name was off the top of my head. My apologies for forgetting. Who had something like 50 disposals in one game. And I'm not exaggerating. Had 50 disposals in one game. Um, oh, yeah. they, 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 it was an AFLW-listed player that they ended up dropping. Same with Chloe Shear because their preseason was about to begin. And then when they ran into the KC Demons, the KC Demons who they met last time, who had 11 AFLW players playing for them, they had, I think, only two AFLW players playing for them. So the Saints kind of, you know, with respect, did get the sites at their weaker point coming through. And when they met us, like, we were just about at our strongest possible point. Bar Nicole Julian, who um, I don't know if she failed the fitness test or maybe she was a bit iffy with the injury and they said, no, we're not going to go with you. We're going to stick with the side that's been winning. So that was a yeah. tough call for, for Brendan Major to make, but he did. And um, the side that went out there were, were, were marvellous. Unfortunately, it was a bittersweet day because our co-captain, the Ginger Queen herself, Georgia Nanscorner, a first AFLW signing, the most beautiful person in and out that you would ever meet. And I, I suggest if you ever go down to watch the women's training and, and just have a few minutes chat with Georgia Nanscorn, the most awesome person you'll meet. Uh, unfortunately, she was going for a mark and uh, landed awkwardly in the early stages of the final quarter. And uh, a source close to her that I chatted to um, immediately after the game said, she heard the pop as soon as she hit the ground and oh, it's been no. confirmed by the media today. It is an ACL injury. So she's out for oh. 12 months. That wipes her out of the inaugural AFLW season. Um, that means, you know, fingers crossed, rehab well, et cetera. She'll be back for the 2023 AFLW season. But what that does, because the question was asked, what does it mean with her injured? She doesn't get delisted. She stays on our books as uh, as an injury, long-term injury list player. And what it allows us to do is pick a replacement for her from anyone who nominated for this year's draft but didn't get picked up. So... Right. Theoretically speaking, I know a lot of people have been chanting and wanting Courtney Eugle, uh, to be <laughs> um, even though they're, they're different players. Courtney is a fantastic player. In fact, got the same amount of disposals as Georgia did in, in the grand final. They could, because she nominated for the draft and get signed, Courtney Eugle could literally, um, they could make her sign a contract and, and she'd be up to the AFLW list. They may go with an experienced VFLW player from elsewhere. 
or they may go with an under 18. My gut says they'll probably go with some under 18 kid. My thinking is they really should go with Eugle or someone with experience because you've lost experience, try and replace it with experience, even though you won't be able to match the quality that these Georgian and scored. Yeah, it's an interesting one because she was, I reckon she was just about best on ground before she got injured, injured um, Georgia. She was outstanding. I, I posted in the thread, um, the game bay thread on Big Footy, that it was like there was eight Nanscons out there at one point. She was just oh, yeah. absolutely everywhere. And it, it's such a shame because she was, she used to be a North Melbourne listed player, if I'm not incorrect, but um, she's obviously had an affiliation with um, our uh, VFLW team and came up, come over and it's just a shame because, you know, yeah. so, so in the fourth quarter too, and I suppose this is why a lot of the AFLW teams sort of pulled their players out of the out of the final series, but good luck telling these girls, nah, you can't play oh. <laughs> like in an undefeated team that looked like they were going to march onto a premiership and they did. Exactly. Um, I, I, I was speaking to her, to her mum, shout out to uh, Kez, Karen Danscorn, and we, we had a quick little um, Instagram chat and, and she mentioned to Georgia Giant Comforter saying, look at it this way. You could have done your knee on a Thursday night during training, but you did your knee, but you did it winning the premiership. Yeah, you know which one? Uh, it, it, it sucks hurting your knee, but which one is more satisfying? Doing a, a knee on a Thursday night during preseason training and missing out and being frustrated, or you did your knee but you walked away with a premiership medal around your neck? Yeah, and, and it, it's a shame because I would. I, I'm going to admit to you, Peter, that before this season, I really didn't get into sort of the girls' football just because the Bombers weren't in the AFLW. But when the AFLW team came in, I started getting really invested in the VFLW team and the girls were picking up, you know, Maddie Presparkas and stuff and really sort of paying attention to just VFL in general to see, you know, like we said, nine VFL listed players. And I've sort of become attached um, to these girls in a football centre. It's a shame because... It would have been great to see her run out, you know, in the number five jersey for the AFLW team. But um, I doubt she'll be far away in terms of being around the club as, as a sort of senior representative and experienced player. And I imagine whoever we pick up um, will be a handy player. But hopefully she's there back better than ever the next year. It throws up an interesting question, though, because there was a fair bit of chat of who will be our first AFLW captain. And the talk was, you know, from the outside, obviously it's selected by the players was, oh, is it going to be Georgia Nanscorn or is it going to be Maddie Presparkas? And we go, well, obviously, you know, to be fair to Georgia, Maddie's the better player because she has won an AFLW League Best and Fairest and has won uh, numerous Best and Fairest over at Far Carlton. But, um, <laughs> but, and you've got to say it that way when you mention the Bluebaggers name. Yeah, um, that's appropriate, that, that, yes. But, but, but but Georgia, you know, is fantastic for culture behind the scenes. So by theory, you would go, okay, well, Georgia's on the sideline. So obviously it looks like Maddie's the hot favorite to be given the captaincy, which would sit right with a lot of supporters as well, because she grew up an Essen supporter, a Joe Watson fan. You can go, that is one of us that is leading us out as the captain for the first time. <laughs> yeah. But you do wonder if they might, in an ordinary way, go, Georgia will be voted in as captain, even though she won't take the field. And Maddie or whoever else would be acting captain to lead us out. Very similar to what Geelong did um, when coming back from a knee injury, um, uh, Melissa Hickey, and she had connections to the Geelong Football Club through Reg Hickey, which the Hickey names on the grandstand there. I think Reg Hickey was her great, great grandfather. So they named Melissa to be captain. And I think she ended up playing after round two or three eventually, but someone else was captain in round one. So that'll be interesting to see how they um, that, that affects the captaincy when it comes to this AFLW season. We're looking like we're getting, we're, we're shaping up for a pretty good 
a squad when it comes to the AFLW team. I was looking at the VFL listed girls who are playing in our AFLW listed team and the girls who sort of played, you got Frederica Frew who kicked a couple. She looked really good. Joanne Doonan, Eloise Ashley Cooper, like you said, like there's a bunch of really uh, talented girls out there that I got to look at, you say, in the grand final that will uh, hopefully provide a, a really good basis for the AFLW team going forward. I thought Frederica Free, like I mentioned before, she had some really freakish moments in front of goal. She was outstanding. And when you think about you adding her to sort of Bonnie Toogood, who is a big recruit from Western Bulldogs, uh, I think. Uh, particularly in Joanne Doonan. So our forward line looks pretty mint going into the AFLW season. And when you combine someone like Joanne Doonan with Georgia G, who's going to be like a whippet around the half forward flank area, she can play midfield, she can play forward. You know, there's a lot of what I call fast attacking options for goals. Some, you know, very exciting options. And then you've got someone who's like a bull in a china shop with Renee Tierney on the strong lead as well. So it gives you plenty of options and, and things to think about as well, particularly when they're getting the delivery from the likes of uh, Matty Brasparkas, which we've talked up. But you've got to throw some love also to the defence at the Bombers, including Danielle Marshall, who was an ex-Western Bulldog. She's known as the American in the side. She came out of the USAFL Arizona Hawks. She has just been a rock for us in defence. She's this uh, tall American who can boot the ball about 60 or 70 metres, no problems when clearing the defence. So she's an absolute game changer for us, which is fantastic. Particularly, sorry, particularly with the women's game, if you can kick the ball 60 metres, that's a huge asset considering the length of, of kicking that the, the um, sort of the average play can do in the AFLW. Getting a 60, 70 metre boot is a highly valuable asset, particularly in your defensive 50. And, and as we said, we've talked about Alana Barber going through the midfield. You've got Amelia Radford as well, who ended up picking up some votes as well in the best on ground for the Lisa Hardiman medal. Um, you know, she's a local girl out of Mooney Valley that's come through, 26, 27 years old. Um, she's going to be rotating through the midfield and pushes forward as well. We've got plenty of midfield options. And then, of course, that's without saying the players that we picked up in the uh, draft as well on uh, last Wednesday night. Of course, our number one signing was uh, Amber Clark, a medium forward midfielder at 169 centimetres, who was the league best and fairest in the NAB League as well. So we picked up someone good from there. Would have been nice to pick up Jasmine Fleming, unfortunately beaten out um, by Hawthorne. Jasmine Fleming, of course, was the niece of Gary O'Donnell, but, you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> oh, um, no, picked up by the enemy too. I think the mediums, with the exception of, I think it's Ashley Van Loon, who's a bit more of a tall player, it seems like we went through a very medium-centric draft, a lot of so exciting and speedy forward midfielders. Do you reckon that makes sense when you think of the, the players we recruited like Daniel Marshall and Bonnie Toogood, we seem to have our key pillars in place. And it was really just these exciting midfielder half forwards that we needed to target. Well, we picked up a lot like Paige Scott was one of them to, to mention as well, um, who was uh, looked very good playing for Geelong VFLW when she played a couple of VFLW games. My only concern coming out of that now, she didn't play in the grand final. They elected to rest her after she played a handful of VFLW games and get her conditioning up for AFLW level. That's Isabella Eyre, who has experience through Carlton and the Lions, who's joining us. And as she's been nicknamed on Eyre, and she's and she's embraced the nickname, the Fresh Princess of Bella Eyre. There's some pillars there in defence, but I feel like we need a few more 
medium to small defenders and right. also with experience. And I, I feel we didn't quite pick that up in the draft. Same, same as well when it came to the ruck situation. We've we've obviously got Georgia Borg, a 10-year Essendon member, we should mention, the best ruck out of the BFLW, uh, picked up again from Far Carlton. But I, <laughs> I, I, I do look at Stephanie Wales, who we selected out of Casey, and everyone in the media were going, oh, they picked up a ruck. It's like, she's actually not a ruck. Her twin sister, Lucy, is the ruck. Stephanie was more a backup ruck. She was more a utility playing on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I do worry about our ruck department stocks because if Georgia Bork goes down, we're going to be using Steph Wales and Danny Marshall as pinch hitting rucks. And by using Danny as a pinch hitter, like she did at the Bulldogs, that robs her out of defense and, and might kill her game a little bit, which happened at the Bulldogs. Interesting. So uh, I don't know too much about the tactics of the way it's played, but it looks like, because uh, there's only 30 players on a list, isn't it? If, I, if I'm correct for yeah. the AFLW. So I suppose there's an economy of position where you go, okay, if we've got one ruck and a couple of girls who can back up, yeah, we can use the other positions for more depth in the outside areas. But you're, you're right, you're running the gauntlet a bit, aren't you? We're a bit slow in that department. We should have picked up and Port Adelaide managed to get her first. Um, North Melbourne's Liz McGrath, who not only was a good ruck at North and was one stage winning the hit out, league hitouts, she was actually very good around the ground. And I looked at her going, geez, that, that'd be very good for Essendon. And unfortunately, Port Adelaide swooped in quicker. Yeah, well, if there's one thing that we know between Barber, Presbarkus, Zanchetto, who obviously was listed for the Lions, she had an outstanding game on the weekend. Yeah, that midfield and Nantagorn was going to be there, but obviously not now. But the, the midfield's going to be powerful and we're going to have some really um, creative players on the outside. And it, it sounds like we're going to play more of a run and gun yep. style than your sort of grit and grind, but that's okay. Yep. It, it seems to be how the men play. And the other good news as well, as much as we've won a VFLW premiership, again, undefeated. I just want to emphasize that undefeated. <laughs> Hello, 2000 Bombers. Um, we, we also <laughs> had the AFLW fixture drop today. So yep. we know when and where we're playing. Just to remind everyone, it's a 10-round season. Um, they st- still haven't worked out a CBA yet to extend the season to have everyone play each other once. But what we do know is the first game will be on Saturday, August 27th, a night game on Channel 7 against the Dorks. Sorry, I mean the Hawks <laughs> at ETU Stadium, which is Northport Oval, where we won the grand final. But there's already a hashtag push to move it to Marvel. I think this is a bit of a PR stunt from the AFL, and I wouldn't be surprised if they turn around and say it'll be Marvel Stadium. But that is in the um, finals buy for the AFL. So after round 23, I think it is the AFL, there's the buy, then the finals. In that buy weekend, that Saturday night, when nobody's got anything on, no excuses, you can get there to um, watch our first game. Then after that, the, the sides we're going to play this year are Far Carlton, who have dropped off and lost a number of players. <laughs> playing the Weagles, so get your scarves out over there at Mineral Resources Park. Then we play the Wrong Coloured Sash at Port Melbourne. That's Richmond. We play the Filth at AIA Centre at Collingwood, which is on Grand Final Friday. So that's that Olympic Park Oval ground. So when everyone's got the public holiday, you can get along to that. We play the Lions up there. We actually have a home game against Geelong in Warrnambool, of all places, at Reed Oval. Then we play Sydney at Far Carlton's home ground, Icon Park. Uh, we play the Demons out at Casey Fields, bring your sleeping bag, and then we round things off um, the last weekend of October by playing Port Adelaide, the side with no teeth, out at uh, Alberton Oval. It's good because I think that first round with the bye week, if it had Eddie had stadium, that'd be a great one to go to under the roof, hopefully at night time. It'll be a great way to start the season. And, you know, the boys probably won't be around at that point. So we'll be able to focus all our attention 
hopefully yeah. on the team that's going to do right by uh, the oh, Essendon football team. Let me tell you straight away, if, if we beat the Hawks, which I believe we will in game one, and Carlton have lost a number of players, so they are gettable. If we can beat Carlton and we know how weak the Eagles are, they've been always around the bottom of the ladder of the AFLW, I'm bullish. There's a very good chance we could be three and zip out of the gate. Oh, get around it, mate. <laughs> and but realistically, uh, six wins will get you into the finals. Five will be it would be too close, but six out of ten will definitely get you into the final eight. We would be halfway there after three rounds of a ten round season because we've got a soft draw to open up with. Gets a bit difficult near the end, but we've got a soft draw to open up. Well, looking forward to that. Um, we've got a bit of the men's season to go, but the girls have their preseason now. Um, this is all we got time for, though. Uh, thanks for joining me, Peter. It's been a pleasure. Listening to your year on Wharf. Peter, pleasure. Maybe one day you'll hear my voice somewhere. Wharf Radio sadly has closed after the grand final, but um, you never know. Maybe somewhere, somehow you'll hear my voice again, just ranting and raving about our women's program, which is going fantastic. Yeah, no worries. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, and if you are listening, uh, like, subscribe, tell your friends about it, and uh, we'll chat to you next week. 